It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. You're tuning into Green and Growing here on 95.5 WSB. So glad you are along for hour number two. I think more and more of you are getting up on Saturday mornings and you're just getting up and getting out and getting going. So we appreciate you starting your morning here with 95.5 WSB, the largest news talk station in the southeast, if not in the country, based right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Taking calls, 404-872-0750. And in just a moment, I'm going to introduce you to my guest, Dr. Dave Coyle, an assistant professor in the Department of Forest and environmental conservation at Clemson University. So light up the phones for Dr. Dave because he is an expert on forestry health and invasive species. We're just going to go over tree health and basics and things like that. So there's going to be maybe some pest and bug questions that you want to ask that I can't answer. And that's why I have an expert because I am not an expert on all things, anything really. I know a little about a lot of things. So lovely in South Fulton County, we talked to her just before the newscast with red spots growing on the tips of what she believes is her centipede lawn. And kind of, I mean, please call if if you know exactly, you turf grass experts out there know exactly what she's talking about. Rust is a little more common in bladier grasses. Like rust is very evident in something like a, a bluegrass or a fescue or something like that. I'm almost wondering if it's not a leaf spot and that's a disease that's highly favored by amounts of high nitrogen. You've been mowing it too low, maybe. And also just where everything stays wet. So if you don't have enough sun getting through there and everything's staying wet, that could bring on that leaf spot lovely. So I would recommend you get a soil test done because that's going to tell you what your what your levels are in the in the soil and you know, make sure that the soil's in the best condition. But also keep in mind for you, you maintain your own lawn, reducing the turf stress, like using a lighter weight equipment when you're mowing, mow zoysia lawn and centipede lawn, like at a medium height, when you actually are adjusting the height of the blower or the, the blades there, the mower blades, kind of at a medium height, do what you can to increase air circulation and make sure that turf has a chance to dry out. That's going to keep diseases at bay as well. And making sure when you're watering, the best times to water are between like 9 or 10 p.m. and 9 or 10 a.m. And I know that's weird to be out at midnight watering your lawn, but that's what the experts say is the best time to water. Um, And also, if it got to the point, you may want to call your extension agent there in South Fulton County, because if it got to the point where you needed a fungicide, I want to make sure you get the right brand for you and do the right application of a fungicide if necessary. So thank you so much for the call. Lovely. Appreciate that. And like I said, if anybody knows what she has, and I am way off base there, please feel free to call 404-872-0750. One more lawn question from Chris in Conyers. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Ashley. So what's going on with your fescue? Or is it fescue? I'll tell you. Yes, it is fescue. Uh, I had uh, fertilized about five weeks ago, and then about two weeks after that, I did a a granule first, and then I put down just weed kill. And I'm I'm not by no means a professional, but I got a feeling I might have burnt my my grass, and I was wondering what can I do to Mm. expedite the uh, green yeah, that's very possible that you may have burned it if you if you use too much fertilizer and when we don't water it in right away. So often, I was just talking to my coworker, Mike Shields, about whether he does 
you know, seeding for fescue or fertilizing, and we waste the money when we do these things, and we don't water it in properly, too. So the risk of burning it, yeah, if it wasn't watered in properly, Chris, or just using too much. So is it greening up at all? Like when you really get down there at the bottom of the blades of the fescue, do you see any green? Um, it's actually Bermuda. And, oh, it is Bermuda. Uh, okay. Yes, it's Bermuda. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I do see some, because um, I also did a heavy seed, too. So... Um, I aerated also, so I did all that within that same period, within that five-week period, five weeks ago. Okay. So I do see some greenery trying to come up. You know, Chris, right now, I, I would wait. I would just wait, make sure it stays irrigated pretty well, especially now that we're approaching the warmer months. I wouldn't want to put you into a tizzy and into a panic and say start doing all these, you know, retractive measures now that we may have messed it up what's important too with the bermuda and with any lawn really is not as frequent irrigations but when you do them maybe every seven to ten days a deeper irrigation so we don't want to water every four or five days with just a little bit getting the surface wet we want to do it every every week or so and have it soak for over an hour or more, you really need an inch of water, an inch of moisture, and that's going to help toughen up the roots too. So I want you to have deeper, stronger roots that's going to make sure that Bermuda is healthier. Since you fertilized, obviously there's no need that you're going to be you know, needing to do that again. Um, and, and also keep the weeds out. Keep, keep an eye on all the weeds because the stronger you can make the Bermuda lawn, I think the better a chance it's going to have a bouncing back, Chris. So be mindful of that with summer weeds and stuff. If you can pull those, if you can treat those and things, keep up with that regimen like you began. Um, right now, that's that's the only advice I have for you. I don't want you to, like I said, just jump in panic and, and let's you know mess it up even more. So irrigation is going to be the most important thing you can do right now. So thank you so much for the call. Follow back up with me because I know we've spoken before. So keep me up to date. I want to know how that turns out. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on my guest, Dr. Dave Coyle. Hello. How are you? Good morning, Ashley. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you for reaching out. Back when I started the show, you were aware that I was going to be a new host, a little green at this, and you reached out and you're like, hey, I can help. And you have ties to Georgia. I said you're a professor at Clemson University, but you do live over the state line, don't you? (laughs) That's right. I live up here in Watkinsville, and I was at UGA for uh, just over eight years before that. So we've got ties in both states at this point. That's wonderful. And I mean, there is a lot that's very similar you know, yes, about yes. South Carolina's climate and turf and all of that and, and our, you know, we're all in the Piedmont region together. But your research activities, you've done things like finding better control methods for invasive plants and forest, evaluating the novel bark beetle and management strategies with that. So sometimes your work and your research kind of makes you look at the bigger picture, right? You're not an arborist where you're coming out looking tree by tree, but just generally how to keep the overall ecology, really, right? Right. Um, you know, it, it's kind of everything you said already. It, it's everything from the single tree stuff. You know, we've done some crate myrtle bark scale work. We've got that in South Carolina now. And, you know, the single trees and the urban, suburban landscapes all the way up to the natural forest. So my job is extremely broad. It's, it's something different every day. And uh, it's really exciting. There's just a whole lot of stuff that can happen with it. Now, talk about the education that you've received up to this point I, I like that you don't have a specified kind of targeted, you know, field, but you are just, your knowledge is a little more vast. So how did you get to where you are? I appreciate vast. That's good. That's not <laughs> what I usually say. But 
Um, how did I get here? Boy, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. Um, I try to say y'all sometimes. But, yes, thank you. Uh, I actually had I actually had one person say, "Sweetie, we know you're not from here, but we appreciate that you're trying." So I thought <laughs> that was like was that made followed, it all worthwhile. Was that followed by "Bless your heart"? <laughs> no, not that time. Okay, not good. That time. Don't worry, it's been blessed plenty. But um, so I grew up in the Midwest uh, on a farm, so I had a big. Um, always in, in touch with nature and playing outside and all that type of thing. And then I went to a small college in uh, northeastern Iowa called Luther College, and I got a biology degree there. I then went to Iowa State, where I did a master's degree in entomology and forestry. And then I moved to South Carolina back in uh, right before Y2K, and I worked at the Savannah River site for four and a half years. So wow. I worked for the U.S. Forest Service there. So that was my first Taste of the South, and at the time, I thought it was just way too hot, and who could live here? But And so muggy, um, right? Oh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. It, was, it was just so different. You know, we get those really muggy days up north, but it's only a day or so. It's, it's, oh, no, that's, that's our regular here, you know? life down here, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I went back to University of Wisconsin for my PhD. At the time, I thought I needed to be more northern, you know, by you know, northern stock and all that. But good Lord, it gets cold up there, Ashley. It gets really, really cold. So after I finished that, I came back to Athens, to Georgia, and I did a, you know, I started my postdoc and had a job there for a bit. And then I landed with Clemson just about two years ago. So here I am. You have been in some beautiful college towns for sure. Well, I want folks to know, too, you're the president of the North American Invasive Species Management Association and on the advisory committee for the South Carolina Exotic Plant Pest Council. So that's all really fascinating. And I know you can take a wide range of calls from our listeners, but I did want to focus in, you know, so many people are now starting to spend more time outdoors. They're starting to see those pests and maybe they're just having trouble identifying them. That's the first thing that we're going to help them with is identifying Mm -hmm. what they have and how it's affecting their plant or their tree or something like that, and then kind of go from there. But we'll cover all of that. We'll cover beetles, caterpillars, We've got butterflies, moths. Are those a good thing or those a bad thing? Cicadas, we're not quite seeing those yet, right? Not, you know, not up here, but I've got some colleagues that say some of the periodical cicadas are starting to emerge in Augusta and Milledgeville. So they're starting to come. It's a a little early for some of them, but uh, I guess that's a phenomenon that happens. You know, we're going to have a big emergence next year. And I guess they're just some early risers is what they've got. Yeah. So, oh, gosh. And then locusts and COVID-19 and killer lizards and uh, murder hornets. So yes, we, we, yes. May, we may cover some of the downsides of them, some things, too. So Dr. Dave Coyle from Clemson University with us for the next hour, maybe hour and a half. So I want your calls to start coming in. 404-872-0750. We are going to take a break. We're going to check traffic and weather. We will be back on Green and Growing. Thanks for listening to 95.5 WS. The latest information on the coronavirus outbreak in Georgia and across the country. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. And we are here for you on WSB through it all. You've been listening in your homes. We really appreciate that. We know your travel patterns have changed. So you may not be in the car as much, but you're able to talk to your smart speaker in the house, listen to us on your app, the WSB radio app on your phone. And you can even open that up and look for the open mic and submit a question that way to any of our talk shows. But I want you to do it for mine. If you don't want to hold on the phone, if you don't want to go on the radio, you can just record yourself briefly, maybe 30 seconds, your name, where you're calling from, and your question. And I can always answer those on the show as well. First, your forecast, sponsored by Finley Roofing. And from Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz, today and tomorrow, very similar days. Highs around the mid-80s and lows, reaching down to the mid to low 60s, just partly cloudy and warm. We do have an increased chance for some scattered storms 
storms on Monday, but we'll make it through the weekend first. So I am joined by Dr. Dave Coyle from Clemson University. And Dr. Dave, first, I want to ask about invasive species. So for folks that may not know, what exactly are you referring to? And then once we figure that out, why do we care and what do we do about them? Sure. Invasive species, that's a species that could be an insect, could be a fungus, could be a plant, something that's just not from here. And most often, I like to look at this on a continental scale. On a country scale, it's tough. If something moves, you know, five miles from Minnesota into Canada, is it really expanding its range all that much or is it just, you know, flying? Um, But invasive species, there's something that's not from here. They create a lot of economic damage. Uh, They create a lot of ecological damage. Uh, A good example is we've got laurel wilt down here in the southeast. It's Mm -hmm. killing all the bay trees and the avocados as you get into Florida. That is an invasive species. There's no real local controls for it. There's no no other insects or pests that eat it. It just kind of gets here and it goes and runs rampant and kills all sorts of stuff and causes all sorts of troubles. You did a fascinating presentation online the other day that I was a part of. And I just remember the the graphics sticking in my head. But there have been scientists and researchers and botanists from Europe, like, say, back in the 1700s and the 1800s, who have brought things over here, whether they were trying to maybe mate different insects or different species or for whatever reason. And I mean, sometimes that's how things got introduced into this onto this continent and into this culture. You know, people are well intentioned, but then something can just become invasive and overrun. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, back in the 17, 1800s, we obviously didn't know as much as we know now. And people were just kind of bringing things willy-nilly across the, <laughs> across the pond there. Um, they would bring things over here they thought could be a moneymaker. Uh, insects happen some, but plants happens a lot. That's mm-hmm. how we have things like Chinese tallow tree and Japanese privet everywhere. They were brought here and promoted as, you know, horticultural plants. Um, before and then once that happened, we we didn't know what would happen when they got out, and we're clearly finding out now. We've got you know privet and wisteria, all sorts of stuff all over the place now. Yeah, that now it's just kind of a you go into panic mode, like you know these things were really pretty and we thought they were really cool, but now we go into kind of backtracking of managing them and maintaining control. So in the next half hour, you and I are going to talk about forestry health as well, just on a larger scale and what that means for the homeowner maybe and just the basic gardener how important forestry health is tree health as well i know now is not the ideal time to be planting trees but if some folks need to maybe best practices and we've got sawyer in atlanta red bugs in his backyard we're going to talk to paul and milton about his pine trees and we want to hear from you 404-872-0750 you're listening to green and growing on wsb It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. The morning moving along quite fast. Already 7.35, halfway through the show. Thank you for tuning in on what's going to turn out to be a beautiful Saturday for you. And tomorrow is going to be much the same. So I hope you've got some good plans. And we're one week away from Memorial Day. So maybe you'll have some normalcy for your Memorial Day holiday if you have any plans to just 
lay low and take a break next weekend. I want you to share that with me. 404-872-0750. All right, Dr. Dave Coyle from Clemson University is on the line with us to help me answer your calls and your questions. And I know our listeners at Atlanta, Dave, we've got some great, very curious gardeners, and they're very observant. So I know if they're seeing bugs in their landscape or just some issues with their tree health. Now, I want to ask you, too, what are some obvious signs of tree stress? Like if someone who doesn't know sometimes even what tree they have in their landscape, but they just Mm -hmm. know it when they see it, some major tree stressors, what are some signs? Some of the first things is just look up at the leaves. Right. If you see leaves that look like they're turning even a lighter shade of green or yellow, or if they start dropping leaves, that should be your first indication that something is wrong with that tree. The way a tree grows, it wants to hold on to every single leaf it has. Right, Its leaves are what it uses to make food. So, it, But it's also a, a body part for the tree that they can get rid of if they're sick or stressed. So if you see leaves starting to fall um you know now in the fall obviously they're going to drop anyway but yeah but if they're falling yeah like when they're green that's never a good sign that's not a good thing or if you see a tree in the middle of summer like right now if you've got a tree and it's dropping yellow leaves that's a pretty good indication that it's thirsty okay um that's honestly the best stuff you can do look up at that canopy if you start seeing things like woodpeckers Mm -hmm. on your live tree you know a woodpecker here and there is fine but woodpeckers they're eating bugs inside that tree so if you've got a tree that you think is healthy but there's a bunch of woodpeckers feeding on there that means there's bugs inside there already so that's a good indicator woodpeckers is something we tell people to look for uh any other you know obvious signs if you've got uh pine trees they will have uh, pitch tubes you know those little globs of sap can come out uh, if you got one here and there it's not a big deal but if you've got a whole bunch of them then you might have a problem as well would it almost be like the tree is weeping? I mean, is the sap dripping that much from the bark? It can, depending on which which bug you've got in there. Sometimes it weeps, uh, you know, almost like wax on a candle type mm-hmm. of situation. And other times it comes out as just a little sort of glob. So it depends on what's what's chewing away in there. And you mentioned woodpeckers, too. I have seen some fantastic pictures, and I mean just fantastic because they're it's amazing to see Folks will submit photos of a tree and literally almost like BB-sized holes in a very, you know, concentric pattern around the tree and going mm-hmm. like, what in the world is this? And that's from a sapsucker, right? That is. It's a type of woodpecker. So, you know, we got to be careful. We, we can't say all woodpeckers are harbingers of tree death or anything like that. But sapsuckers are types of woodpeckers. And you're right. They make those lines of little holes the lines are practically straight across that tree or around and if you've ever watched one they just cling and they drill just a little hole they're just trying to get right down to where the sap is flowing in that tree they don't want to go any deeper because they're eating both the sap that's kind of oozing out but also any little bugs any ants or, or that type of thing that might come and be attracted to sap they'll eat those so they'll just drill a little hole, and then they'll just sort of shuffle over a half an inch and drill another little hole and shuffle over, <laughs> and that's how they make those lines there. And then they'll just go back and sort of uh, you know eat the sap and any bugs that come there. I've never seen a tree really be impacted by sap suckers. Oh, good. The tree seems that's to heal news. those up very, very well. Uh, not really a cause for concern at all. Very good. And I definitely want to get into more... Um disruptive kind of pests, if you will. We'll talk about the ambrosia, uh, ambrosia, uh, Asian ambrosia beetles and things like that Mm -hmm. and what folks know to look for. But we've got some great calls. Are you ready? 
I am ready. Let's oh, go. let's do it. Okay, 404-872-0750. Sawyer in Atlanta. Good morning. Thanks for calling Green and Growing. Hey, good morning. Hey, so I want to start with these bugs in your yard. What's going on? Yeah, uh, in my backyard, I have a pretty large area of stone with a fire pit in the middle. So it's not like grass or dirt or anything, but there are just thousands of these tiny little red bugs. I don't know if they're aphids or, or something else. Um, but it's to the point where we really can't sit out near the fire pit. Um, they're all over the chairs, the fire pit itself. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out what they are and what I can do. Okay. It, you know, it sounds like you might have one or two things. Let me ask you a quick follow-up. Are these little red bugs moving fairly quickly or super slow? Uh, pretty quickly. I mean, I can, they're, they're, they're tiny, so I have to look closely to even see them. But when I do see them, I can, I can see them moving. I mean, for their size, it's pretty quick. Yeah, so it sounds like you've got one of two things. You might have what they call um, clover mites. Those are, if they're bright red, those are these little mites, and they're just, they're actually the, one of the largest mites there are. Most mites are, you know, really, really tiny. But these are fairly beefy as far as mites go. They're just eating plants, um, and it sounds like maybe they just like your area. So, you know, there's not much you can do. I think the easiest thing to do with them is if you just take a hose, you can hose those things off of there pretty well. If it's not mites, the other thing that comes to mind is it might be the uh, early stage of there's several types of plant bugs that hatch out and just kind of they get all over the place after they first hatch. They're tiny. They kind of scurry when you get near them, but they're all over the place. Same thing. Um, if you really want them gone, you know, there's some, some contact insecticides or foggers you could use maybe an hour before you wanted to go sit out there. That might get rid of them and at least give you a, a clearing for the evening. Okay, gotcha. And I have one more question. If sure. Uh-huh. So um, I, I've got some uh, blueberry and raspberry bushes uh, in my garden. Okay. And uh, I've noticed uh, little about uh, smaller than dime-sized holes in the leaves of the raspberry bushes. Um, I'm trying to figure out what might be doing that um, and how I can how I can protect those plants. What What comes to my mind first is some kind of caterpillar. That generally makes holes in the leaves, and I'm really on the lookout with a lot of different varieties of caterpillars now on my vegetable garden as well. So have you ever used the product, any any garden insecticide with BT in it? No. Okay, Bacillus thuringiensis, I think, is, is going to be my closest pronunciation of that. That's what BT stands for, but that targets caterpillars, and it's an organic insecticide to use on many you know home vegetable gardens so start really looking on the undersides of the leaves and look really carefully there if it's more of a webbing if these holes become more of a a webbing where you just have veins of the leaves left then you're probably going to have another problem but just based on that Sawyer I would do that and read the label directions of course as with any insecticide or herbicide or anything like that but BT you're just going to mix it with water spray the leaves pretty judiciously and you got to stay on top of it now is probably the time of year to to really be on top of that and seeing those caterpillars thank you so much for the call 4048720750 Paul in Milton up in North Fulton County good morning Paul hey good morning thanks for taking my call yeah what can we help you with I have a little bit of a lawn question more than a bug question. I hope that's okay. Okay. I've got uh, a fescue area that's been fescue for years and years, but it's got pine trees over the top of it and old oak trees over the top of it. And it just seems like over time the fescue uh, thins out too much. And I think it might be from the 
the acid in the soil from the trees? Do I get the soil tested, or do I know to use lime on it before I aerate and reseed? All right, so Dave, you and I can kind of tag team this because I think that there is always this adversarial relationship here in the South with folks that want to grow grass and pine trees because God knows we have a lot of pine trees, but that just does not make for a nice area for a lawn underneath it, does it? Right, you you nailed it. It's an adversarial relationship. And as I hear it described, you've got large pines and large oaks. You've got two trees that suck a lot of water and honestly it just sounds like the lawn is losing the water battle there you know there's only so much water to go around there's probably only so much sunlight that's even getting to the ground um it's it's really hard to grow a really nice lawn under big trees that's that's just kind of a a fact of life and that's why you know in the tree care industry we recommend people mulch around uh kind of underneath that tree out to the drip line there because it's so hard to get grass to grow so that's that's what it sounds like to me is just, you know, the trees have these really expansive root systems. They're very good at taking up water, and they always win the battle with grass when it comes to that type of thing. So that doesn't sound like it's necessarily fatal for you, Paul, if you did want to try to seed something like fescue that's a lot more shade tolerant and just keep it irrigated properly and things like that. But did Paul hit on something there? Because that that is a very good train of thought, Dr. Dave, with the acidity of pine trees, and what does that do for the soil as far as trying to have any plant or lawn nearby? I mean, are they do they get a bad rap for, you know, what they do to the soil or not really? Well, I mean, yeah, those needles drop, and they, are, they, they do make things more acidic. So it, it kind of gets down to how many needles are dropping and if they're being picked up or mowed up or ground up or, or removed. You know, all those things factor in. But that is definitely, you know, that happens. That's part of having pines is they're going to change the pH a little bit in that soil. Um, you know, he mentioned a soil test. That's if, if you really want to grow grass in there, that's probably a good place to start because getting that pH adjusted to where grass likes it might be your first step. And then, like you mentioned, Ashley, putting something that's a little more shade tolerant in there might be able to get over the hump. So a soil test, Paul, for, for you or maybe someone who's never had one done from the extension office, that is going to be just so clear and a really good chart of what your soil contains. It'll tell you exactly the ratios of maybe what you need to add. And then also, just if we give up on grass, you've got options like maybe a Mondo grass. That's not a true turf, you know, but a Mondo grass does really well in shade and it can fill in really quickly. I mean, I think of hostas, just some like mm-hmm. understory kind of shrubs that may look pretty up against the pine trees or old school azaleas or something if we if we eventually give up on grass but don't give up yet i think i think you may be on the right track paul thank you so much for calling all right we've got a minute for clint calling from monroe georgia hey clint good morning morning how are you do you say monroe or monroe Monroe. Okay. All right. Very good. Thanks for clearing that up for me. And I know there's Forsyth County and then the people in like middle to South Georgia are like Forsyth. So, you know, I just want to make sure. So what, how can we help you? Yes. I got a chestnut, chestnut oak in my yard and I have figured out how to get the acorns to germinate. But my problem is I put them in a container that is clear and the tap root is curled up in the bottom of it. And one, when I go to plant and I'm trying to figure out, do I need to try to straighten out that tap root or just put it right in the ground just like it is? 
Well, it'd be gr- it'd be great if you could straighten that out, you know, and that's happening because you have them in a clear container, and those those the sunlight messes with roots a lot of the time, and that's why, you know, when you buy containers to plant stuff at a at a home and garden store, they're dark because they don't want to let sunlight in there. Uh, if you can straighten it without bending it, that would be the best you could do, even if you could get it going, you know, sideways versus pointing up. Um, you can plant it pointing up, and it will recorrect itself as it grows. But anytime a root does that, it, it you know, you just never know if there's going to be issues later on. You hope not with a tree that's going to get as big as a chestnut oak. But, uh, yes, if you can safely bend it a little bit, I think that would be the best thing you could do there. What a great question and a good answer. Thank you, Dr. Dave. Okay, so coming up, mm-hmm. we've got more calls. We've got maybe using lime for yard pests, if that's if that's a possibility. A cypress tree covered with spider webs. What soil to use in a raised bed? And we want to hear from you. 404-872-0750. I'm Ashley Frasca. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. We'll be right back after this. Keeping you updated on the coronavirus and its impact on our economy. 95.5 WSB. Atlanta's News and Talk. It is the weekend. And that's the weekend that you're hearing right now on WSB. Thank you for tuning in to Green and Growing. Want to update you on the weather before you get the complete outlook from meteorologist Brad Nitz in about 10 minutes. Just today and tomorrow, really carbon copies of one another. Partly cloudy, warm, highs in the mid-80s and lows in the low 60s. Green Green and Growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. I try to make gardening easy for you, and on the weekends, you've got some extra time, so there's always something you could be doing in the yard just to feel accomplished, one or two tasks. And I'm also joined by Dr. Dave Coyle, an assistant professor in the Department of Forestry and Environmental Conservation at Clemson. So I'm going to put you on the spot here in just a minute, Dr. Dave, okay? Sounds good. Okay, so three things people can do in the yard right now. I'm going to go with, number one, time for fire ant control, what we call the Georgia two-step. That's how you remember the best control. First, spread a bait like Amdro. And then secondly, maybe a week or so later, use a mound drench, an organic insecticide like with spinosad in it. Number two, you can be refreshing those potted plants before you plant your container gardens with all your colorful summer annuals if you haven't already done that. Just need to replace maybe the top four to six inches of soil with new soil. Now you want a potting soil. That's what you want to buy. It's more lightweight. It's going to drain a little bit better. It's soilless, but it's potting soil in the bag when you go to the nursery. And then just apply a slow-release granular plant food like Osmocote, Malorganite, something like that, but not too much. A lot of those potting soils already have a fertilizer. All right, so Dr. Dave, I'm asking you for what is the third thing, just something basic folks could be doing out in their lawn this weekend? Water. And I say this because it's starting to get warm. We're getting those temps in the 80s. It's not raining every other day like it had been for a while. This is a great time to make sure that the trees and shrubs and plants in your yard are getting enough water. And whether that's water from your irrigation system or or soaker hose you might have on there, it is a great time to make sure things are getting covered. And if they're not getting covered, think about giving them some water when they need it when we get into these dry spots because it's it's bound to happen. We're going to have some dry spells here. It's Georgia. Uh, and it's a good time to make sure things get water. And I always kind of like to remind people, people can have a flower garden and spend hours, hours over a week in there making mm-hmm. sure it looks good. But a lot of times they plant a tree and then we just don't do anything for 30 years. Now, I'm not saying you got to sing to that thing every week. I'm just saying <laughs> it takes a little bit of care. And, you know, if it gets dry, water it and make sure it's, you know, got the proper mulch, none of the volcano mulch. You know, we don't want to see a great big mulch teepee around that thing. 
You want to see, you know, a good circle of mulch around it. You want to be able to see the base of that root flare right there at the ground level. Uh, and just make sure everything is getting cared for as it should be. So I definitely want to inspire folks maybe to be- learn better tree health, better practices for that forestry health as well and conservation pine straw production that's going to be interesting and also something you and i talked about why it's okay to leave a dead tree if it's not posing a danger to people some of the things to be on the lookout for and more of your calls as well i've got dr dave coyle an assistant professor from clemson university so we'll be talking invasive plants and forests and maybe beetles and invasive species insect control all of that so you can call now 404-872-0750 we'll be back on 95 Point five WSB.